I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Yeah.
day after getting home from work, we finish cooking dinner and we sit down on the couch, maybe with a glass of wine, and we turn on an episode of Frasier. And every evening, that's when Chandler, our nearly two-year-old cat, comes out from his daytime sleeping den. And he comes out and he sits in the middle of the living room and he bats his eyes at us and he meows at us and, and then he meows at us again. And then he meows at us again, just louder. And then he meows at us again and then very loud. And then he begins to put on a show to get our attention. And so he runs up the stairs and then back down the stairs and then up the stairs and then back down the stairs. And, and then he gets up on his perch and pounces on Tootie, my 15-year-old dog. And then Tootie growls at the cat and then Chandler swats her on the behind. And then Tootie snaps at the cat and then Chandler swats her across the face. And then when we still, when we still haven't budged from our, you know, wine and hand couch lounging to, to play with him, he jumps up on the TV console and sits right in front of our episode of Frasier and just meows and stares and meows and stares and meows and stares. <laughs> and meow he meows and it's as if he's saying, Daddy, Mommy, let's be honest, it's actually just Daddy. He, like, he doesn't even really care that I exist. <laughs> um, it's as if he's saying, Daddy, are you done yet? Are you done yet? You left me alone, all alone. And it was a total tragedy, and I almost died. As you know, every day this happens. <laughs> but you're here now, so, so are you done yet? Are, are you done? Are, are, are we done with all the emails and the phone calls and the meetings and the plannings and... If God knows what actuaries and pastors do during the day, whatever it is that's taking you away from me, can we now get to the real work of you being with me now? Planting a church and doing whatever actuaries do. I'm still not sure. Planting a church. Chris does something. Um, planting a church and calculating some numbers. I don't know. Um, you know, is really important work, except to your cat. Your cat doesn't care. <laughs> he doesn't really care about your inboxes and your phone calls. He just wants to know if whatever it is that is taking you away from him is finally over and he can be with you. Play with me. Meow in call and response with me, the cat says. Whether, whether he knows it or not, I'm going to guess he doesn't know it. Um, Chandler is like asking this really provocative theological question of us every day. We've all asked this question of God before at one time or another, and, and whether we'll admit it at church or not, we've all, we have all felt the absence of God. We've all felt abandoned by God, left alone. And who, who knows where God is or, or what God's even doing? If, if God will ever even come back and pay attention to me, God must be dealing with someone else's problems right now. God must be attending to someone else's prayers. God, God knows what God's doing. And, and all we, I, love, I like that you appreciated that. And all we can really feel in that moment is God's absence. And so we stare up to the sky and we say, God, are you done yet? 
Are you done with whatever you are attending to? I think you're attending to things. Maybe for you it's been in a hospital room uh, and you're at the foot of a loved one's bed and the machine in the room has finally stopped beeping, which kind of alerts you that um, they've taken their last breath and, and, and your, your prayers for healing are going to stop too. And, and you look up and you just wonder, are you, are you done yet, God? Or maybe, maybe it's a day like Mother's Day. Maybe, you know, you know that moms deserve the world. You know that. And, and, but if you're honest, the reminder of another in vitro that didn't take or, or how you always wanted kids, but it just didn't fit into, into that life, and, or, or the reminder of losing your mom a few years back, it, you're just like, oh, this day, and I know it's important, and yet this day, and the loneliness sets in, and you'd like to ask God, is it done yet? Is this day over yet? Or perhaps you're just in a period of listlessness in your life. Life has just lost its purpose for you. You just feel like you're wondering, like nothing really matters anymore. Maybe it's, maybe you start to have depression set in, or it's anxiety. Maybe it's just, maybe you're just self-absorbed. Maybe whatever it is, going to church or being a part of a worshiping community like this just doesn't fix it. It, it. Your anxiety is still there. Your depression is still there. Madonna doesn't work. And you just kind of look up and you think, is this all there is, God? Are you done yet? And this is the question that lingers for us on the Feast of Ascension. We call this a feast, and I'll return to that. This is the question that is on the lip, lips of the disciples as they follow Jesus out to this place called Bethany today. So far in the gospel, the disciples have been following Jesus along and they've come to understand this God with us kind of God in the person of Jesus. This is how they know who God is. Jesus has walked with them for so long. He's begun to share his life with them and everything he has becomes theirs and he's taught them and he's led them and he's given them a glimpse of his faith and they've located all of their faith within him. This is that kind of God with us, God, until that Friday. Until that Friday, you know, when they saw him up on a cross and this suffocating weight of emptiness descended upon them and all they could feel was absence. And they felt so alone. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where have you gone, God? Are you done yet? And then Easter Sunday comes, right? And there is this moment of hope injected into their life, this resurrection that punctuates the suffocation of emptiness. And since that time in the story, especially in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has continued showing up again and again in their lives, continuing to locate God's presence with us in himself. Post-resurrection, he shows up on the beach and he feeds them again, and he shows up on the road to Emmaus, and he feeds a couple of people who are wandering along with him, and so, so their hope has been renewed. Their hope is beginning to find new life again. They're finding themselves again, feeling filled with God's presence with them. And then all of a sudden, Jesus starts talking like he's going to go somewhere, like he's going to leave them. Jesus starts talking like he's leaving them again. And just like, just like a two-year-old cat knows 
what it means when you start packing boxes and carrying down suitcases, the disciples begin to feel the presence of God's absence, the threat of being abandoned, the threat of being alone just outside their door. And so they start asking the same questions. Where are you going? When will you be back? Are, are you done yet? Jesus takes them by the hand in Bethany, blesses them and says, I'm going to be sending you, right, the gift of my Holy Spirit. And then just like that, he's gone. He's, he's vanished. Nowhere to be found. And all they can feel is the absence of God. If Christmas is the celebration of God with us, ascension should be the celebration of us without God. Strange. But I wonder if that's ever been your experience of faith. I wonder, I wonder if you know the absence of God more than the presence of God. If so, in the Christian year, the Feast of the Ascension is your day. Welcome. <laughs> Christmas angels may be a bit too much for you. Easter empty tombs may be way too much for you to wrap your minds around. But Ascension, feeling alone and asking God, where are you? When will you come back into my life? Sitting in front of God's TV screen, batting your eyes and purring, are you done yet, God? Perhaps Ascension Day is your day. Ascension Sunday is the day when the church forces the subject of absence. I wonder if being a part of a church consistently is difficult for you because you're surrounded by all these people who seem to think that God's obviously present, seem to be very sure of, of faith and, and, and that, that God's presence is here right here in our midst, I wonder if that's weird for you. Perhaps going to worship is difficult for you because you quite frankly feel like a fake and a fraud here trying to put off like you too can sense God's presence because everyone else seems to sense God's presence. They, they seem to know exactly where God is, but you're not really sure where God is. Is God here? Does God even like Madonna? I don't know. <laughs> All you're sure of is this absence. Being full of faith, being certain of who God is and where God is, never having to wrestle with the feeling of, you know, an empty soul may sound really Christian, but it is, it is not human at all. Part of being human is struggling with feeling the absence of God. And that's where today's feast begins. But it's not just about our feeling separate from God. It's, it's also about God feeling separate from us. This is the mystery that is couched in what the church calls a feast, but a very particular feast that be, because it begins with this notion of nobody's at the table. What kind of feast is that? I, I mean, sure, sitting on a cloud, eating grapes and cheese and having a harp play in the distance and maybe some cherubs rubbing your feet, like, that might sound like the divine feast of God, but it doesn't sound at all like the God we meet in the Jews or the God we meet in Jesus. The God we, 
we meet there creates everything out of this sense of yearning to be at the table with you, yearning to be at the feast with you. When we wander away from that purpose, that blessed community, God searches after us, chases us down through through scripture, through priests and prophets and kings and leaders. That's the story of scripture of God chasing us down to get us to sit at the table. Eventually we say that this God chases us down so much that this God takes on the flesh of a person in Jesus to be with us. And God walks with us physically and bodily and pulls out a chair for us even unto death. And God even joins us in this feeling, this anxiety of separation too on the cross. My God, why have you forsaken me? And then God joins us in the grave. And then God leads us into the new life of resurrection. Now here's my question. What kind of God is this neurotic? What would drive God to chase us so persistently? Except that God also feels the same absence you do. Being separate, distant from us. Apparently, part of what it means to be human is to feel distant from God, and apparently part of what it means to be God is to feel distant from us. That's the beginning of ascension. It's a weird feast. Today is the day where the plight of human absence and the plight of divine absence begin to come together at the table. Today is the day when both of those empty spaces begin to be filled. Last weekend, I was doing a wedding in Charlottesville. Thank you all for allowing me to, um, to step away. And those of you who were, who were here, I watched online. It was beautiful. It was a wonderful worship service. Um, and I'm actually preparing to do a wedding in a couple of weeks. And so the couple that I'm preparing, in a couple of weeks, I'm preparing to do a wedding these weeks for, for August. That's what I meant. But when I sat down with these couple, this couple to, to give them the initial questions, I always ask three questions. What was the first thing that ever attracted you to this person? Um, what, like, why in the world do you want to marry that person? I always ask them, um, what do you love most about this person? And um, Christian and Amanda will be getting these questions soon. <laughs> um, and then the third one, um, what do you think will be the most challenging part of being married to this person? Um, so I always ask those three questions, and they answer the questions back, and then I sit down with them. Uh, but this time when I sat down with this couple, she hands me a stack of postcards and letters. And she said that the entire first year of their dating, they lived across the country from one another. And so they were separate, distant during this time, but they, they wrote actual paper letters to one another that during this time. They, they insisted on writing to one another. And so she hands me this and she says, I actually have not even looked at it for a decade, but like I wanted you to have it. And I thought it may be useful to you as you're preparing for the wedding. And I'm thinking, whoa, like, what an invite into your story. And so eventually with a cup of coffee, I sat down and I started reading through some of the letters, seeing if maybe I can piece together a really good homily on the day of the wedding with stuff that they didn't even remember they said to one another. How beautiful would that be? And I mean, they were beautiful stories of heartache and hilarious stories and some moments that were TMI. And then, <laughs> but, then <laughs> but then what I noticed what I observed was that what was thick on every page was this feeling of absence. 
and the anticipation of presence. I, I cannot wait to be with you again. I'm yearning for the day when I get to see you again, embrace you again, be with you again. This is the story of our life with God. This is, and this is what we see at Ascension. The, the mystery that the church tells us this day is that the absence that we feel is filled, is filled by the time the day is over. Because as Christians, we believe that Christ is the new Adam. Jesus, in one person, in the person of Jesus, represents all of humanity. Every single situation that a person could be in is represented in the person of Jesus. And that's what it means when God takes flesh. Every person that has ever been present in the person of Jesus, divinity in Jesus, and Jesus ascends to be with God. Us with God. Jesus promises to send upon us the Holy Spirit, the fullness of who God is that will take residence among us in one week from now. Next week's Pentecost Sunday. And the empty spaces are filled both in God's heart and in our heart. That's why the church calls this a feast, because on this day, in the fullness of who Jesus is, who ascends up to God and is present with God and sits at the right hand of God the Father, we know now that we too, we too get to be a part of that divine, that divine relationship. We too are, get to be close to God every day because all of who Jesus is, is all that we are. In a minute, we're going to invite up Jolene and Melissa to join our church and we're gonna do this amazing thing. Um, the simply scandalous thing where we're going to pour some water into a bowl and representing the presence of Christ, we're going to invite them to touch the water and be reminded of their baptism and God's presence with them when they feel utterly alone. And then I'm going to say this phrase, perhaps it reminds you of the scripture. May the Holy Spirit work within you that being born of water and the Spirit, you may be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. All I'm saying is God's going to be with you. And because you know Jesus and because you are taken up into the person of Jesus, you've ascended as well. Friends, in this, we will continue to celebrate this kind of unbelievable news of the ascension, that in the person of Jesus, and in the person of Jolene, and in the person of Melissa, we get to experience the presence of God, right? And all the empty spaces start to fill up, and all the alone spaces start to feel less alone, and all in all, through all of this, we're full together. And so Jolene and Melissa, will you come forward? We're gonna um, now go into a time of prayer, which is going to be really unique. I'm going to lead you in a song through prayer, uh, a song by Alicia Keys. So you, your response will be the chorus, which is We Are Here.